so excited for this. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Mama to Mama. You might hear the sound of a wonderful three-year-old in the background of this episode frolicking around, which is so amazing and makes my heart so happy. Today, I'm joined by my dear friend, Jesse Gardner, who I met when living in San Diego, thanks to our amazing mutual friend, Kelly. And it was truly one of those friendship at first sight situations. Uh, Looking back, it was so incredibly kismet. The three of us were three peas in a pod. We spent countless hours pulling angel cards, doing rituals and crafts, masterminding together. Oh, those days were just so near and dear to my heart. I miss them so much. And Jessie, I'm so excited for you guys to meet her. She's an incredible mom to three girls. She works in regenerative agriculture and she lives in Austin, Texas with her sweet little fam. So friend, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to see you. Oh my goodness. It's such an honor and joy to just share space with you. Um, So fun. Such a miracle to be here. Okay. So we actually just touched on this before we started recording, but I was reflecting on when we met and you already had, you were already a mom <laughs> to think back on those days when we like spent so much quality time together and we did all this soulful spiritual stuff and you were running a business and now having my first and like finally coming out of the fog I wanted to ask you like how did you possibly prioritize yourself with a tiny little human at home <laughs> Oh my goodness. I think, I think part of the time I was just in denial and it took me a long time to surrender to, oh, this previous self, I actually cannot keep up with the pace of the social, the nurturing that actually comes with, you know, showing up to all the events and friends things and, you know, anything else that was on the calendar. But for a long time, I really tried hard to do both without just surrendering to the to the possibility that I might need to prioritize more of family home and my own personal self-care that didn't involve, you know, the outings. But I also at the same time really felt how I so needed those moments outside of the role of a mother to remember who I was. And I felt like you and Kelly and, and everyone in that little group were just such beautiful mirrors of, oh, okay, here I am as my own individual self. Yeah. Um, and that was just such a necessity during that time. Okay. How old were you then with, with Kennedy? Oh, how old was I when she was born? Yeah. I was, I was 29. Okay. See, that is like, yeah, yeah, as someone who didn't have their first baby until their, I think I was maybe 36. Like it is so interesting to think about like in your late twenties, right? Haven't even turned 30 yet. You are still in that phase of life where you're like, maybe not ready to surrender to like, give up the like outings and the girlfriend time. And the, and so I'm putting myself in your shoes and feeling, I would feel this totally the same at that age. Yes. Yes. And I think you want to maintain those relationships. And many times in that phase, there were so many people around me and friends that didn't have kids yet. And so they don't quite get it right. Of what it takes to actually show up, you know, for that lunch date or that walk on the beach. I had no Um, idea, Jess. I'm like (laughs) reflecting back and I'm like, I wish I was more compassionate for like you coming (laughs) to our angel cards, like, and our crafting and our vision board sessions. Oh my gosh. I think though, but at the same time, like we were talking about before, there's no way to know what the livelihood of motherhood is really until you're like, I could have probably told you all day about the difficulties and the challenges and making what making time looked like to be able to be there. But I think until you're in it, you aren't able to just be like in this state where you're saying, yeah. oh, I get it. I so yeah. get it now. Yeah, it's so <laughs> true. Full I, circle. It's so true. I felt this like, I think I've said this on here before, but almost like this, when I had the baby, like feeling this, this urge to almost apologize, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm, I didn't get it. And I know you don't really get it until you go through it, but like. Yeah, I felt almost the need to apologize that I wasn't more aware. Um, I guess it's a bit out of our control, but still. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think it's a beautiful thing, too, that you were seeing me perhaps out of that side of me, which I think yeah. was okay because it was we're all we're, we're at the same level. We are all just women, yeah. you know, working through life and the, the yeah. ebbs and the flows and just here for each other, yeah. you know, no matter what those challenges are in our lives. 
we were together in that moment. Yeah. And it was such a gift, no matter what your challenges were, or my challenges, or whether it be a child or, you know, something you were trying to process. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully like in some indirect way, like mirroring back to you, like, and I'm just saying this from my experience too, going through it the first time, like mirroring back to you that like your identity isn't just, even though you're so excited to embody the identity as mom, you're also the identity of, you know, creative and like business owner and soul friend and deep conversation or, you know, like it's so nice. I think I'm craving that, like even in this chapter of life too, of like being mirrored back other identities of yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Did yeah. you have any postpartum? I want to ask you this because we were friends during this very precious postpartum time, but did you have yeah. any like anxiety during that phase or just like lowness or, I mean, I know everyone, the hormones are absolutely crazy, right? When you give birth, especially, you know, with that first where everything's so new, like, did you have any of that kind of postpartum struggle? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it was you know, partly just not really understanding what's, what happens to the human body after you give birth yeah, and not being prepared for that, yeah. um, you know, and, and having an understanding of both the biological side, but also the emotional and spiritual piece of that, that I would be yeah. processing. So just in the depths of really, I think what was spurred by just utter exhaustion yeah. with a really tough sleeper with that, with our first, yeah, just, I mean, surviving on barely any sleep compounding night overnight 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 and and still trying to write like keep up yes. with life and do the things and still be working and still be yeah. present and you know I mean I couldn't even tell you how many times I sat in that rocking chair just in tears oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and just completely broken of what what is this place where I am now? It just seems so foreign to me and I yeah. don't know how to handle it. And I don't know how to, you know, press forward and find the light, which is usually so innate to yeah. who I am. Right. So that was, that was really, really hard for me. And it, it definitely took connecting to other moms and other yeah. philosophies around, you know, where is that safe place for mothers to be vulnerable and yeah. ask for support that you need and not yeah. try to do it all and do everything perfectly and project this perfect family and baby and you know which is just not realistic yeah absolutely not yeah I was at work and it was just like a bunch of random smattering of like teammates that were all together and somehow baby sleep came up and we, we were talking about sleep sacks and they're waking up at five and and just like all the like nuances that you feel so alone on when it comes to sleep your exam you're sitting in the rocking chair like sobbing like it is you feel so alone in that moment and then even now present day when I'm just like casually having a conversation about baby sleep with coworkers, I think I said it's so comforting just to be like I'm not the only one who experiences yes. this still yes 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 absolutely oh my gosh it is yeah well I think and sleep is so interesting because there's so many ways that you can deal with that, yeah. you know, and some are yeah. highly controversial. And then there's, there's yeah. all this judgment around what path you choose. And, you know, are you co-sleeping? Yes. Are you sleep training? Are you, you yes. know, going to ruin and tra traumatize your child? Yeah. Yep. And, but yet you're, you're wilting, you know, and yeah. you're losing all of the essence of what you need to actually be yourself and be healthy in, yeah. the, in the process. And so it's one of those things that I think definitely requires a breakdown and vulnerability of of options for mothers to hear and that it's yeah. okay of what intuitively feels right for you as a mother yeah. to pursue because I think it just elongates that that time that you suffer mm -hmm. and judge yourself when mm -hmm. you just are looking at all these other perspectives around you yeah and of judgment versus what you know you need to do for your family and for you yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah yeah really I think that you so perfectly like articulated just the struggle of the first time mom is really finding your own way within the chaos and the noise. It's, yes. it is the first time mom's biggest, at least from my experience, one of the biggest challenges to feel like you're not listening to this expert or this person, but you're really listening to your inner self yeah. and your inner voice and your soul. And like the decision you're making is one that you are good with and not feeling guilty that it's not what this other mom was doing. It's so yes. hard. 
Yes, it is. It is so hard. I think we're so trained to look to other people with social media or look to a doctor or a guru or a book or your mom or, you know, whatever your boss of whatever expectation, you know, people have for us in this life and in this world. And yet how much time is focused on just being able to sit and hear your own voice and your gut reaction to, yes, this feels right. Or no, this is not for me. And, And operating with that without hesitation because you have that confidence in yourself. But from such young ages, I think we we lose that capacity to trust yeah. ourselves. And it's just, it's so important. You see it in moments like that when you're a mother yeah. and yeah. you just don't know what direction to go and you've forgotten and can't like, hear the faintness of that voice. It's absolutely there, but yeah. are we pri- prioritizing it and trusting that above all else? Yes. Did you with, I want to ask you quickly about your birth experiences since you've been through it three times now. <laughs> yes. Did you have a natural birth with all three? Oh no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. I, for some reason I had it in my head that you did. And I was like, I need to remind myself. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it short and, and concise, but first one emergency C-section, which was actually an emergency. <sighs> I had an, I had an abruption really early on, which is when the placenta breaks slightly from the wall of the, of the, your uterus and, um, was on bed rest for through from halfway through my pregnancy till the end, which was torturous. Um, coming back to me now. Yes. Yes. And I Uh totally deserved it because I was working and I was lifting something that I definitely should not have been lifting and trying to be in that, you know, startup world and climbing that ladder while I was carrying a human being. Um, anyway, the water fluid dropped to a really serious low rate. And so she was an emergency C-section about a couple of days after what you would consider preemie. So there was that. Um, How many weeks or how many months was she born at then? Because preemie is what, like 32 or something? Yeah. She was just after that. She was just after that. Yeah. And she, and it was interesting because the doctor said she's actually, it was a miracle that she survived because the umbilical cord typically is the size they said of like a big gulp straw that's like healthy and like yeah. driving the blood flow and it yeah. was the size of a coffee straw they said got and it we, yeah and it was just so tiny so the ability for her to actually get enough nutrients to survive was Ugh. shocking to them yeah yeah um and so we had that and then for my second there was all and I really wasn't introduced to many other options at that point. I just assumed yeah. you're going to be in a hospital. This is the yep. way you have a baby. I yeah. didn't have any other exposure really yeah. to other, other options. And then for my second, I started dabbling into some other um, like hypnobirthing stuff yes. and kind of uh-huh. just like slowly integrating. Um, but the pressure from doctors and also my own family, um, my parents and my husband, they were just, they were so worried and traumatized from the first birth where everyone says, oh, you have a C-section one time, you have to have, now you always have to have C-sections because it's just, you're just high risk pregnancy. You had a near preemie, you know, all the things that are on the chart showing you this story of, you know, how you have to birth your baby. And that was a perfect example of me not listening to my intuition because I believed I could have her yeah. naturally and out of the hospital setting. It was like, I was just kind of hearing that, but the, the wave of all of that pressure just yeah. took over and I just gave into that. And mm-hmm. so she was a C-section at normal, you know, at her normal term, yeah. but 100% did not have to be. Yeah. So it took me three. So third time's a charm. Oh my gosh. Third time's okay. a charm. Yeah. And so I, by that point, and obviously with a lot more exposure to the birth process and how beneficial it is to naturally birth if you can and have the ability to do so and that you are capable even if you have had c-sections you know yeah. everybody has a different case but in mine specifically all indicators said that yes i would be able to have a natural birth so i've had an amazing midwife team here in austin and then had maddie at a birth center here completely natural no pain medicine um and it was it was the most miraculous yeah. This moment for me because it was a very yeah. full circle of oh my goodness you know yes. I I can do this it was just very healing for everything that had oh happened I'm sure there. yeah so yeah so yeah like to look at your trajectory of traumatic emergency to you were like almost there to where you wanted to be where you, how you had your third but like kind of then went in the opposite direction of what you truly was in alignment with you and then for the third to like really like have it be the vision that you wanted. Talk about a healing journey. 
Yes, absolutely. I was healing in every way, in every oh. way. Yes. And I, yeah, it was just a new knowing that my, at that point, my intuition was yeah. all that I was really listening to and giving value to, you know, I would yeah. listen to my parents and everybody else being sure. so worried about that. Yeah. So like that that's yours to own. And I'm yeah. going to step into this place of capacity and will and ability to do what mm -hmm. I am, you know, meant to do as a mother for this child and birth in a beautiful setting, yeah. amazing women around me. Yeah. Um, and just be able to soak in, you know, all of those moments. And if yeah. you're scared and worried, you can manage that over there, yes. but I'll be yes. over here yes. <laughs> in my zone. Um, yes. And, uh, and so that's just, that's how it, how it went and everything was, you know, beautiful and fine. Um, so yeah. very grateful and lucky for that. You could yeah. translate that narrative kind of exactly what you just said about like, you can operate how you want to be. It does, I know we're like specifically talking about the birth, but like, think about how applicable that is to like any situation in life, oh right? Gosh. Like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. Speaking of intuition and as a mother wanting to make decisions and act in alignment with what is right for you, having three girls. So I feel like I've had a lot of boy moms on and I'm a boy mom myself. And I think it's so important to teach your little boy to be intuitive and kind. And, mm. you know, many of almost like those feminine qualities, yeah. but for you, and I've been really inspired by some of the things that you've written on your beautiful, you're the best writer, Jess, like your in long Instagram posts. And I'm wondering for being a mom of three girls and as, you know, obviously a female myself and feeling like intuition is such an important skill that I feel like we're born with, we forget, and then sometimes remember, how do you feel like as a mom, you're conscious of teaching your little girls to be intuitive? Mm, yes, it's so important. It is. And like you said, a constant reawakening for myself and how yeah. I am living and acting and using language with yes. or just with myself and in the, within our home because they're sponges right they just pick up everything in that mm -hmm. sense and it was it was apparent recently when my daughter my seven-year-old you know was so excited about doing theater and wanted to sing we had seen a play and she was like I want to do that and it was so oh. fascinating because I had just the complete opposite experience when I was little, where my mom, yeah. you know, put me into theater, you know, years and years and years of it. I was always the townsperson in the back of whatever, like the group character yeah. was like, I was, you know, and so it was just, I never, yeah, I just never wanted a part of it, but yeah. I had to do it because, you know, my mom wanted me to do it. Yeah. And so you, like, I sensed in myself as a parent thinking, I never want, I never want to force my child into theater, you know, cause I had such a bad experience in that. Yeah. And you could translate that into, oh, I'm never going to even expose her to that option because it was so bad for me. I would never yeah. want that for her. But yeah. here she is actively resonating with something that is speaking to her that she is called towards to explore. Yeah. And what a travesty if I were to have held that from her because of my yeah. experience and actually yeah. just listen to her intuition that is so clearly saying yes, I'm interested in this. Yes, I want to do this. And she loved it and just had the Aww. best time and just the yeah. biggest smile on her face, you know, in yeah. that process. And so it's it's just fascinating of, of really understanding that they, they, in many ways, I truly believe are our best teachers. Mm -hmm. And if we are parenting in a way that is allowing them to just unfold right? Without mm -hmm. our molding, without our perfecting, without our mm -hmm. like, wear this for this thing and yeah. take these classes or don't take these classes yeah. um, and, and try to project on them what we feel they want to be is like, can, can I just let them be their individual self mm -hmm. and support the places where I see them naturally moving toward, even if that triggers me, even yeah. if that feels like, Ooh, you want to do mm -hmm. what, or you don't want to yeah. do that, or, yeah. um, you know, you want to hang out with them, you know, just yeah. things, all, all these, it pops up all the time. Yeah. And I'm really conscious of them not growing up to align with what they feel will make me proud and yes. having that pressure because I truly felt that when I was little of just wanting to make dad proud and yeah. be, you know, take this role and have this type of job because mm -hmm. that's what he did. And then, then I'll feel more loved. Yeah. Um, and instead actually have them find their pride when 
they can listen to themselves, find something they love, pursue that, whether they do well in it or not, that following that path of their own intuition is where joy is. It doesn't reside in me saying, I'm so proud of you. You did an amazing job and having that exchange. It's more about them feeling that as much as they possibly can. And me just trying to support them feeling that as they pay attention to that voice so that when they have a question about who they want to be, what they want to do, who they want to hang out with. It's not, oh, what is my mom going to think about this? Mm, it's yeah. actually, yeah. Hmm, like, how do, how does that feel in my body? Like I'll yeah. ask them a lot of like, they'll ask me to do something or what I want to, what they want to eat or yeah. something like, yeah. how, does, how does that feel for you and your body? Does that feel yeah. like it's, it's good and it's resonating and it, you have a smile on your face and you're leaning into that? Yeah. Or does it feel like, oh, a little, you're a little worried or you're, does it yeah. feel aligned? Like just to get that in their language. And so that's some of the questions or language yes. or you know, what you're infusing. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Cause there's so much in language that we don't right. really realize we use all the time that then there is a lot of assumptions behind that language mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, they can just get so tangled and it's a constant lesson and I'm absolutely not perfect in it, but I'm, I realize they are not mine. They are their own mm. and seeing them as such. Yes. Yeah. I love everything you just said. And I think one of the things I love that you wrote, which is exactly what you're saying is this idea of stepping back. And I thought it resonated so much. It's like, I think as parents, we try to like step forward and control and hover and this just this idea this energetic idea of stepping back holding space and that being like the ultimate sacrifice or the ultimate like tough lesson almost as a parent right because all you want to do and I as the first time mom like I noticed all these controlling tendencies coming out in me and he's obviously still little and but they're still absorbing at this age of course but yeah this idea of instead of just wanting to control control just relaxing and allowing and stepping back. And anyways, I was very inspired by, by that phrase and exactly what you just said. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, and I think absolutely when the littles are so little, you know, you so feel like, like, where's the balance of me keeping them safe and letting them explore, you know, (laughs) so that they don't fall off the counter or, you know, there's so many, yeah, there's so many pieces of that. And something that I was recently reading that was really inspiring to me was, looking actually it's, it was a lot of the work that actually comes out of anti-racism and especially you know being a white female coming from a privileged life looking at okay if I'm a white female how do I raise my kids to not be raised in that white privileged mindset and mm-hmm. something that they wrote about was that there's a significant lack of contribution coming from kids into the household and their responsibility towards caring and being a part of Um, whatever they can in whatever capacity, because we, as parents, you want to make it as easy for them as possible, right? Like I'm going to do everything for you. I'm going to get your, get your water this way. And I'm going to put your food in your plate in this way. And I'm going to make, I'm going to do your dishes and you know, all of those things where actually they have so much ability to contribute. And when they understand what it takes to make dinner or what it takes to put their backpack together or their lunch or mm-hmm. to go on a trip. Like what, what does that take? Yeah. Then they, they have more empathy around and compassion around contribution in yeah. society in general versus just feeling entitled yeah. to, sure. you know, this certain life. And I, and I think we often do that of, you know, just wanting them to have an easy life, but actually what if there's a lot greater depth and value that can come from us building their will and capacity to do and sustain themselves so that again, they feel that confidence in themselves, being able to walk into the world and be able to understand the space and take care of that space and other people and the earth and all of those underlying things that are, we want to teach them, you know, that yes. are important. So that's a I good, that's that. a big lesson in our house too. Like, do yes. I need, do I need to still do that? Yeah. Or can they do that now? Yeah. And I'm sure like, as they're all their ages and stages, you notice that like <laughs> the more they're uh, your seven-year-old versus the three, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then they try to model each other, you know, when you yeah. have multiple, they really look up to, okay, what are the behaviors that the, yeah, the seven-year-old is doing? Cause they just want to be like her, you know, they yeah. want to, they want to mimic that. And so yeah. if you build that in, there's this village, you know, 
experience that happens where everybody's learning from each other. Totally. Okay. What are their ages right now? Again, seven? Yeah. Seven, four, and two. Um, But in like February, March, they'll all be, you know, eight, five, and three. So right on the cusp. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. And I wanted to ask you kind of a broad general question, but I thought it would be a fun one is what do you feel like they're teaching you right now? What, what is like a main lesson you feel like you're learning from them today, this week, this month, lately? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, we already talked about just that intuitive inner voice piece, which I yeah. feel like is big. Um, yeah. I think right now, and it's really been, you know, I mean, gosh, constant, I think actually since they were born, but that what never ceases to amaze me yeah. is their ability to find wonder in the smallest, mm. tiniest, little yeah. itty bitty things. Yeah. Um, oh. Like my littlest one, we are at my parents' house and my, she got stung by a bee and she had, you know, her finger started swelling up and everything. Yeah. The stinger was still on her finger. And so I had to, I had to take it out and you could see the little like fuzzy bum of the bee on it. Um, yeah. Cause it like obviously like dislodges from the bee and everything, but it was yeah. still like, you know, fully intact. And we must've just sat around that stinger with all three <laughs> girls just like talking about that stinger of just like how sharp it was. And then the fuzzy bum <sighs> and what does it feel like to have a fuzzy bum? And wow, could you have a microscope? Can you look at this thing? And it was just this whole fascination right with yeah. just the smallest literally one of the smallest things and yeah. wonders in the world and it just it always inspires me to come back to just yes. how miraculous life really is uh-huh. and it's easy to lose sight of that but you come back to like you know a drop of of milk that's on the counter or yeah. you know that ant uh-huh. on the tree or like you know, rain falling on the window and then just, you know, watching and trying to count the raindrops. And we we pass by those things so quickly as we get older and it just pulls me back into those present moments and such a great teacher, such a great teacher. I love that. That is, that is just warm. That warms my little heart. It's so true though. I love the word wonder too, as a lesson. I think one of my dear friends who was on here when they had to pick a word for describing and summing up motherhood, they chose wonder and, and, um, mm. and it just, I think about that word all the time now, but mm. it so perfectly articulates what you just said. Like it is little, little, those tiny little humans do teach you to just have that certain wonder and curiosity about yes. the world. Exactly what you're saying that you just so quickly forget, like when you're just moving on the pace of life. And I think that is one of the gifts of motherhood. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I'm incredibly excited. We've kind of touched on it a little bit and your example of wonder and nature and the ant and the bee. Um, (laughs) I wanted to talk to you about just how you yourself personally, and then of course your family, I've been so inspired how you've really evolved and shifted your lifestyle since I, you know, lived with you in San Diego. You guys, you've always were of a nature lover, but obviously you and your own, you know, personal life, work life, your passions have really shifted to like really living close to the earth and appreciating nature on this really deep, deep level growing your own food, planting, harvesting. It's what you do with work now. And it's just, it's so inspiring. And as I was writing this question and this topic and wanting to talk to you about it, I'm reminded that you as a mom have almost embraced the great mother even more, Mm. Mother Earth, right? Mm. And so... Well, A, I think it'd be really nice if you macro could kind of describe for our listeners, just like your own journey in kind of this idea of being more connected to the earth. And then, so that's like part one. And then part two, like how has being close to mother earth maybe shifted you as a mother? Mm, Yes, yes. Yeah, it's been the most transformative force in my life to date. Absolutely. The transformation started when I got paired with a random digital marketing client who I didn't know at the time, but Zach Bush, um, a physician and thought leader and works in planetary and human health. And I was, you know, listening to one of his podcasts and he just started to break down the impacts of pesticides on our food and how the majority of the food that we eat today has pesticides, herbicides, and the seeds, it's sprayed after, it's sprayed on harvest, and the impact that that has on our gut lining and has on our on our bodies. And mm-hmm. it was fascinating. And 
I was listening to it and he had mentioned something at the end because there's this big macro, you know, planetary human health, you know, crisis happening. And you always come down to, okay, but what can I do? How can I start to understand this and and shift my behavior? It was just such a powerful Mm -hmm. talk. And he said, just get a seed and plant that seeds like mint or basil or the simplest ones, tiny little pot, put it on your windowsill and taste that leaf when it, you know, when it's ready. Yeah. I'll never forget when I, it's exactly what I did. I got a little seed, I got a little pot, did that, <sighs> put it on my windowsill. And I remember, and Kennedy was little at that time, yeah. but we had, you know, we had spaghetti one night and we got, you know, I think there was like two basil leaves on. I was like <gasps> waiting for the time and the moment Yeah. and we like sprinkle it on top of the spaghetti. And it was me, my husband and my, and Kennedy. And um, I will never forget that moment when we all took a bite and you had that freshly grown basil yeah. on top. And there was just silence, which when you have, you know, a toddler is a miracle in, <laughs> in any fashion, but it was just so fascinating. I, I just felt like you could feel the light energy coming out of that little leaf into yeah. my body. Like it just spoke to my body in a completely yeah. different way than the basil I'd get at the grocery store or whatever foods we were buying at that time. Yeah. And, and that, that truly really changed everything for me because I started to understand I don't know any of the farmers that planted these seeds and harvested this food that we're eating on a daily basis. And definitely the, not the stuff that comes from a box, you know, that's from processed wheats and, you know, sprayed with herbicides and pesticides and how heartbreaking and fascinating and just an inspiration to, for me to really understand Mm -hmm. where is our food sourced and who are the humans behind that? And, how can we get closer to the food as it's grown in the earth versus opting into this lifestyle of convenience that I think the Western world has really bought into, which is really hard to escape because that's what everything is trying to make it easier, faster, you know, more convenient, getting groceries delivered to your door. Like you have no concept of even like looking at all of the apples anymore, you know, they're just delivered to you. And just to see all of those areas where we become so disconnected from the earth and our food and being able to sustain by growing our own food. And it just felt like there was this huge gap in my understanding of food, how you grow it, where my ancestors came from, the land that they stewarded, the land that I was living on. And just so, so disconnected that it prompted me to reconnect and really look at that severed relationship with the earth and yep. food and culture. And there was just, it was almost like, there, I mean, it was really everywhere I looked, but it was like, yeah, I, I want to change this. I want to change yeah. that. I want to change this. Um, and even it's just been, hearing you talk, it's so interesting to even how it ebbs and flows, how like, even in my life being so inspired, to like plant the seeds and have my windowsill basil and then have plant beds. And then to now be operating, like things take over. It's just so interesting to ebb and flow, like being so conscious of exactly what you're saying. And yet the way that we're set up in a world and society is just, it's, maybe it's just a narrative in my head. It makes that part hard when convenience is just like, okay, it's convenience. I'll buy my little pack of basil versus, yes, yes, you know? Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And it's, and it, and it, it, it is, does become a lifestyle choice because yes. you then yeah. you're opting into, you know, where you spend your time. And part of the reason when we moved out here to Austin too, and had, you know, a yard where we could plant a garden and plant food mm-hmm. was, if I plant these seeds, it is going to require me to be outside every single day yeah. in the soil, nurturing this food and growing this food. And so it was. It took that to be able to shift my time and energy and where we were, you know, as a family and where I was in prioritizing that because otherwise, absolutely, you know, your human behavior, you're going to opt for something yeah. that's going to optimize your time. But you just wonder, what do we lose when we do that? Um, And what are we feeding our kids? And what are we like, you know, you look at the school lunch programs here. I mean, everywhere, really, because the National Food Lunch Program, and it's heavily, heavily, you know, just full of pesticides and herbicides that are breaking down the immune systems and the biology of our kids. And Mm -hmm. there's clear science on it. There's clear research on it, but there's industry and there's the chemical 
companies and there's big ag and all of those, all of those things that are just looking at like, how do we grow as much food as possible? And these tools and technologies are amazing in some ways because they allow us to do that. But at the same time, we've so lost the ability to even be curious about the food that we eat and who grows it and where it's sourced. And the detriment is coming through in our in our bodies and that rise in in chronic disease, the rise in obviously like fast food places are just everywhere. You know, it's just a cultural norm at this point. And so my my effort and call has really been back to the earth, growing as much food as we can, creating community around that where you're growing carrots, I'm growing tomatoes. There's a beautiful bond that happens in that when we're sharing that and having a meal together that dynamic is what I want on our table as much as possible. And again, definitely not perfect and don't do it all the time, but it's something that is a huge value of mine of how do I kind of architect where we live and where we're connected and where we're, what we're investing in, in terms of our food and the farm, the local farmer community to be able to have that more connected relationship with our earth and well-being and planetary health. Cause I do think, I mean, the next generation climate change is significant in their lives in terms of what the world mm-hmm. looks like and could that connection to the earth and and allowing that ability for them to figure out how they care for that and how they relate yeah. to it is just so so important yeah okay so what i'm hearing when it comes to like this lifestyle shift is and then how you mother is and like how mother earth and mother nature has kind of affected you as a mother is this idea of mothering in a way that creates space for your children to learn about growing food and living close to the earth it's almost Mm -hmm. like you've embraced this lifestyle of living in alignment with mother earth and and from that it's just it's trickling down into everything you're doing from like educating your little ones, what you put on the table. Is that true? Is that how you, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's kind of what yes. I'm hearing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Cause I think you, I mean, we, we are all connected, you know, we are yeah. all symbiotic. We are all living sentient beings. And yeah. so it does really permeate everything. I mean, it's a constant teacher too, and a beautiful template to teach them about things like the death and life cycle, yeah. because right, every single season things are turning over and things die but those leaves actually cover the soil and then build into yeah. the nutrients for the next season. And, you know, you, you'll see like a dead caterpillar or, you know, things yeah. like that. And so we process that and we honor that. And it's yeah. a, just a beautiful, yeah. a beautiful map for how to work with all of the life circumstances that come up. But absolutely, it's a huge teacher for all of us as a family of how does yeah. nature handle this? Because yeah. nature is, you know, it beautifully imperfect, but also at its own pace and at its own time. Like how can we be more in tune with that in all ways is something that, yeah, we're constantly navigating. And especially as a mother, looking at mother nature as a template. Yes. And finding lessons. I love that idea of honoring just the seasons and finding like true life lessons in nature and teaching them through that lens is so beautiful. Yes. Okay, for any moms who are listening to this who are really inspired by what you're saying, um, and you kind of gave your takeaway from the Zach podcast where he's like, just plant one seed. If a mom's really inspired by this and maybe looking for tips on maybe how to get outside more with their little ones or how to, what's maybe the first step to do to, you know, maybe live a little closer to the earth or plant your own food. Is there any Mm -hmm. like just tips you feel passionate about sharing? Could be one thing. Yes, yes, yes. I think some of it just goes back to the intuition piece, yeah. you know, like what deeply calls you? Is it being more out, you know, in nature or is it, you know, growing your own food and what does that look like? Yeah. Um, and I think it's all about putting nature on your calendar. And uh. I love you're, that. You're, yeah, it's, nature it, on your calendar. Yes, it's so good. Yes, um, what is yes. this book? I, I felt like at the beginning of the year, like I'm getting a lot of content fed to me on Instagram. And a lot of things I saw was that book, 100 Hours Outside or something. Ooh. I think that's the book. A couple moms posted how one of their goals this year is to get their children to spend more time outside. And I think if the idea of 100 hours is things that you can do to obviously work ah. those hours. But I 
putting nature on your calendar is such a good tip. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Of just, instead of, you know, staying in the routine of whatever you're doing in your house, you know, or whatever you have, you know, normally set that involves technology, a screen, not engaging with one another. Is it a walk? Is it exploring a new beautiful Mm -hmm. hike in your neighborhood? Is it touching living water and just making that? And like, can you do that every day? Can you step outside every day? Um, even with our, I run, you know, the marketing meetings that I run, I do sunshine six in the very beginning where everybody joins and then everybody takes six minutes outside, take off your shoes. Even if you have to just like stick your head out the window, put your hands put your feet on the ground and just yeah. breathe, do a downward dog, you know, whatever you might yeah. need to do in that moment, but just take a break and connect because obviously in this remote working world, so many people literally are never stepping foot outside or it's in yeah. very small amounts. So even at a six minute, do your sunshine six, like put that on your calendar somewhere in the middle of your day. Yes. Um, So it can be as simple, as simple as that. And I think if you're interested in the, in growing your food, it definitely planters are a super easy way to start that with the basil and the mint, any sort of herbs that you want to just add on top, just to feel what that experience is like. And if it fails and doesn't grow, like my, my growth rate or my grow rate on my garden is probably 50%, like 50% survives and 50% does. I'm definitely still a beginner (laughs) and that's okay. It's more about, you know, the experience and you just plant multiple seeds in that pot and you just like, at least hopefully one will, one will sprout. Um, And then I think too, taking a detour from the grocery store and going to your farmer's market. And I know it's a little bit wild and crazy. A lot of times with kids where you're like, it's so crowded. It's can't find parking, you know, all that stuff. But just to say hello and shake the hand of someone who is growing food in your community and to support them in some capacity is such a rewarding experience. It's like the farmers are now the top job industry where suicide rates are are the highest because there's so oh much bankruptcy, gosh. there's so much depression. They're so um, in many ta- in many times in the large scale farm, so dependent on the chemicals to keep their harvest going that they are in so they are in such debt that they can't get out of, and mm-hmm. and obviously exposed to these mass just detrimental chemicals to their health. So the suicide rates are just off, just off the charts. And so farmers are barely making a living and the amount of farmers in our society are decreasing so rapidly. So if you can change where you're buying your lettuce or your carrots and guaranteed they are going to taste so much better than something that's been imported from another country, which is wild that we're importing all of this food from other countries. And you have someone probably right down the road (sighs) is growing fresh, they're growing organic and regeneratively, and you can have that experience to support them nourish your own body, support someone who's nourishing the earth and just tap back into a different way of sourcing your food. If you can't grow it or don't have the space or it doesn't, you know, align, that's a beautiful way to just connect with the land stewards that are in your own community. I love that. I love that so much. You're inspiring me to two things. One, we moved, I think, I guess, I guess we've been here a little over a year, barely. And we are, the backyard is, you know, always a work in, the yard is a work in progress. But just the other day, Pat pointed to kind of this house down the street and he's like, that's what I want to do in our yard for planners. And so you're inspiring me to make sure that that's on our list of projects for spring mm-hmm. um, after these torrential downpours we're having. And then <laughs> two is we have such a great farmer's market in mm. not in the exact city I'm in, but right next door and it's on Sundays and it's so beautiful. So you're inspiring me. So yes, amazing. (laughs) Amazing. And that's, that's one thing too, that I'll say about kids is if they are participating in growing the food, they are so excited to eat it, right? Like if we planted those carrots, like back in whatever it was a few months ago, and the girls are like pulling those out of the ground and just eating them straight. And they're just, there's so much more engaged in eating a vegetable than if I'm just like, getting, you know, cooking it, putting on a plate, it just shows up and they're like, ah, this is gross, you know? And I've just, I love that they will grow it and just like pluck lettuce from, you know, just right from the garden and eat it. And I, and it's kind of part of that contribution that because they were totally growing this thing, it means that much more. It's exciting for them to eat it and to taste it and to, and to have it. And so even at such a young age, you can, you can just, it's just a different dynamic with food that is so healthy, that tastes good, that makes them feel happy, that like they're stoked to be outside, um, which is something that you hope they continue, you know, on into life. But the more moments you have like that, 
the more they're likely to want to recreate that. And it's like yeah. intrinsic piece of them. Yes, totally. I actually, when I was like thinking about our chat, I'm going through the, of course, Maddox is about 13 months. And so, you know, that you're in the toddler eating phase, right? And I was actually thinking exactly what you said, like being able to like teach them about where the food comes from. Because like, you know, there's kind of this notion that toddlers are just finicky, you know, like yes. some days they want, you know, yes. so I love this idea and I hope to instill that of just, yeah, that education on where food comes from and getting them, getting them engaged and like, and Pat loves that kind of thing. So I think I'm, you know, hopeful that it will be natural too, just from a family dynamic perspective. But yeah, I think that's so, that's so true. Just getting your kid involved in the experience. And I think that it's a nice kind of natural way to kind of combat this idea of like pickiness. And um, yeah. I know they're all still going to be picky and have their own little opinions, but I think maybe only, only one up. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. And I think that's a great, that's a great point too, is that it's hard to do stuff like this on your own. Uh And we are really not meant to grow our own food and sustain by ourselves. Like we are meant to be in community with others. So often in communities, you'll find community gardens that are somewhere local to you where you can just have a plot in that community garden, or just go volunteer. And then you can, you share in the harvest. And there's so many other ways to look at doing it versus gosh, I have to like, yeah, re- reframe my whole backyard and do it on my own. Totally. There's ways to do it together or have it be, you know, a friend, you know, a friend event where like, we're going to work on your backyard and like plant your spring garden and then we'll go to yours and we'll yeah. help. And you can make it more communal yeah. so it doesn't feel like there is, you know, so much pressure, but having, yeah, oh my gosh, having the kids out yeah. there, just letting them get dirty and be a part of it. It's just, yeah. I think it's just one of the greatest gifts that, you know, we can give as parents. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I know we're running out of time. So I did want to talk about one last thing, which yes, is, yes. I should have started with it really. Um, but I'll never forget. I think we were in my little apartment in Cardiff <laughs> and I have no idea how this topic even got brought up, but you, I think we were probably talking about some, you know, some sort of thought leadership or consciousness or whatever it was. And you described this concept to me that you'd read about that I'll never, ever forget. And it's this idea of when you become a mom and you grow this little tiny human inside of you, there's this idea of a golden thread that strings from kind of your heart to their heart. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've Googled it before, and I think what I'm kind of grasping on it is that that's almost the spiritual idea of the more scientific idea, which is that your child cells live literally like are forever living in your body. And there's this obviously cellular level connection. And I think that idea of the golden thread is almost this spiritual, almost an energetic embodiment of that idea. And so I want to ask you, A, do you remember that? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So if you do, can you, where did that (laughs) thought come from? And can we just spend a minute talking and ending on that? Because I think it's such a beautiful idea. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the source of it um, yeah. now. Was it a I'm, book about like conscious parenting or something? I'm sure it like, was. I'm yeah. sure it was because some of it was around, you know, how we often have unhealthy attachments with our kids and how yeah. there can be this significant inclination to worry about them and to be fearful of them. And so that draws us to create boundaries and limits for them so that they can't grow or go far because we feel like we need to have them close. And so part of it is, you know, when I'm away, when I have mama time, you know, that I, we are always connected no matter what we are always connected. Even though I'm not sitting right next to you, there's this golden thread that is attached to my heart and your heart forever and always. And you will always have my unconditional love and support right there. And you can tap in and we can be together anytime. And then additionally, really, it goes intergenerationally because you have when you have kids and the intercellular, you know, makeup of you is because of generations and generations and generations. So it's not just us living here. It's actually all of our, you know, my mother and the grandmother and the grandmother of the grandmother and all of those pieces that are actually part of that beautiful thread that connect to like really indigeneity and mother earth at the very beginning. So now it's almost even become more developed of a thought of reconnecting us to not only each other, but also the layers of ancestry and the layers of earth that when I am gone, when I am not here, you are absolutely Mm. always holding 
us and you are holding yeah. all of the grandmothers of the grandmothers of the grandmothers yes. and earth and you are supported and held regardless of where I physically am. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Just thinking about the thread spanning, not just like you and your, but all the generations, I think is such a beautiful, uh, yeah, just such a beautiful vision and something I think as a mom, it's easy get in the day to day, you know, it's easy to forget, but like that, that idea and that vision is such a nice thought to like reintegrate into just the mother experience because it's such a gift. Yes. 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 Um, we need those visuals to remind us. Yes, of, like, it's true. Pull it back in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because we're out of time, I'm going to choose yes. one of the three questions to ask you. Okay. <laughs> and then what we can do is in my little blog post slash uh, show notes, that sounds really official. They're not show notes. So it's just like the blog post they do with my post. You can put your answer, your short answers to the okay. other two. But at sign off, I want you to leave our amazing little community of listeners with your word or phrase. If you could sum up motherhood in one word or phrase, what would it be? Oh my goodness. I would say the beautiful challenge. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I often think about motherhood as it's it's just slightly more beautiful than it is challenging. Ah, oh that's good. I really <laughs> that one. Yes. Because, yes, and it's like Oh, so in those moments that are just so hard, you know, there's always that beauty to recognize that it's just that much more beautiful, but not to minimize the challenge of it and, and recognize just, you know, the depths that we have to go to within ourselves to be able to be mothers yeah. um, and also witness the beauty. So I think acknowledge is like both, both sides of so motherhood. Good. Yes. <laughs> I love it. it. You're right. It's always just one step, like one little lot more beautiful. Yes. Makes you keep going. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 Oh, well, I'm yes. so very grateful to so have had a special time with you and just to yes. share your wisdom with so many mamas. Everyone's so lucky to have your beautiful thoughts out in the universe. So thank you so much, Jess. Oh my goodness. Thank you. And all your radiating wisdom as a mama, seeing you as a mom is just something so precious and sacred. And oh my gosh, Maddox is one lucky. Oh, thank you. Okay, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mama to Mamas and we'll see you soon.